talk about a biblical interpretation again. Last time we were together, we um, talked about the rules of biblical interpretation. And it was pretty important that we understand the rules, because if you don't know the rules to a game, then you don't play the game right. We see all the time how people don't play by the rules when they're reading their Bible and interpreting their Bible. There was a, a element this week, I don't often post things on Facebook, but there's a few people that I went to school with and sometimes they post things spiritually and there was an article about a, um, a, a, a lady who had given a testimony of her becoming a Christian and she had written an article and she had talked about um, a vision and all of these things and, and she's a liberal um, politician uh, or political commentator and she said that the biggest thing she feared in becoming a Christian was that she'd have to become a Republican and she didn't want that and so she was going through this whole thing about how she she was so thankful when she found out that she didn't have to change any of her political views and uh, when she became a Christian and all of these various elements and and um, the it, it was really a big thing this past couple of weeks people were just so happy oh look at this wonderful testimony of salvation and and uh, you know she used to hate Christianity and now uh, Christian she, she's a Christian and and she believes in Christ and and I, I just put, I put a little, somebody had posted the article on Facebook, and underneath I just put, be careful with this article. You're, you're talking about someone who's saying they, they saw Jesus, Jesus spoke to them, they had a vision. Um, these things are indicative of the New Apostolic Reformation, of the Word Faith Movement, of these movements that are clearly apostates right now in the United States. So be careful with this stuff. The fruit of salvation, the doctrinal fruit of salvation, um, would imply that she probably would start changing her mind about some of her views when she gets saved. And, and she would have a hard time keeping her political, moral, views if she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior because all things become new. And I, I just gave this warning. And underneath the warning, what do you think I got? Can anybody take a guess at, at what the next posts were underneath that warning? I think someone knows. Sarah? Judge not. Judge not lest you be judged. Judge not. Whoa, buddy. Read the Bible you claim to represent, was one of them. Well, buddy, read the Bible you claim to represent. Judge not. You have no authority to judge her salvation. Well, I didn't say she wasn't saved. I, I threw a warning out there. But the doctrinal fruit of somebody is a manifestation of the decisions made in their lives. And so, I got all of this. That's somebody not playing by the rules. Judge not lest you be judged. That's not what that means. They're not playing by the rules. So we see this all the time, right? Where people don't play by the rules. So the rules are important. It's important that we understand the rules of biblical interpretation. Well, it is also important that we understand everybody's role. The rules of biblical interpretation. What is the reader's role? What is your role in biblical interpretation? What is the text's role? What part does this play 
in interpretation? What part does the author play in interpretation? And of course, when we're dealing with the, the, the Scriptures, what part does the Holy Spirit play in biblical interpretation? So that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to move through this somewhat briskly because I like to keep things moving along um, and get done with this series um, because when we're finished with this series, we're going to move on to something um, not different, but different. Um, I'll explain it um, later. But let's talk about the various roles of interpretation. We're going to begin with the text. The text, the Bible itself, the words written on the page. What role does it play? The text is the medium by which the author's meaning is conveyed. So when, a, when an author has something that he wants to express, he uses words. He uses ink and paper or papyrus or whatever they um, chose to use at the time. Now, the text does not determine the meaning. The text itself does not determine meaning. The author determines meaning. But there's a lot of people that say that the text itself determines meaning. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. The people that believe that the text determines meanings say this. Once a book is written... That book or that work becomes autonomous. It has its own ability to express meaning. It is its own thing. The author has, it's, it's, it's like, it's like the author was writing something or created something and then he just let it go and it flew away and now it's living its own life. The text has its own power, its own life, its own ability. The meaning of the text is completely independent of what the author meant when they wrote it. Thus, what a person actually meant when they wrote the text is of little value in determining meaning. When a text becomes literature, it ceases to abide by the normal rules of communication. It becomes a piece of art, and therefore it needs to be interpreted according to the expression of the piece itself. As I say those sorts of things, is there, can you think of a modern day piece of literature or writing, a document that has fallen under this attack of the document is a living document, a document that has its own meaning apart from what the original writers intended, that we don't need to worry about what the original writers intended because the document is living, it's changing, its meaning is developing. Does any of that sound familiar, Holly? That's, that was my thought. Isn't that what people are saying today about the Constitution of the United States? The entire purpose of the court system is to interpret what the founders intended, founders' intent. And yet, what are they doing today? They're saying, well, the, the Constitution it should, needs to be regarded as a living document. A document that is changing to fit the times in which it stands. A document that, that, that we need to get ourselves away from the idea that the founders, we need to get ourselves away from what they thought. They don't know. They had no idea about what would be coming in, in 200 years. They, they couldn't have had that foresight. So this document needs to be constantly changing. This happens today. This is happening right now, and it's one of the big battles. The, there's, you've got your, your group that says no, founder intent, and then you've got your group that says no, the Constitution is a living, developing document. 
the, the founders wrote it, and then they just let it fly away to, to live and sustain on its own and change as it needs. And so we do see this today, and people are doing this with the Bible all the time. This approach is very popular among literary critics. And here's some problems. A text is no more or less than a collection of symbols. Meaning, the text has no ability to to determine meaning. Meaning is a product of thought and reasoning. So a text can't think. It can't reason. All it is is letters and symbols. And so if it's a living, to, to call it a living document is to say that the text has some ability in and of itself to produce meaning. But it doesn't. It can't. It's just letters and symbols. Another problem. Meaning is something only persons can produce because only persons have the capacity for thought and reason. Only persons, people, can produce meaning because only we can think and reason. Now, that being said, the text is not the determiner of meaning. The text has a definitive role, but it's not to determine meaning. The text is the medium or the source by which the author conveys meaning. So, if I want to give you something, if I want you to read something and understand something, and so I write it down, it is me that's attempting to communicate something to you by means of a text. The text is simply the means used. I could have used my voice. I could have used sign language. I could have used semaphore, semaphore and had flags and trying to make all of the symbols, but I didn't. I used written language. I could have used English or Spanish or French or Greek or Hebrew. I choose a language. I choose a, a medium by which I want to communicate with you. I choose one that I will understand and that I know you will understand. And then I convey meaning from me to you through that particular medium. The author purposefully submits himself to the conventions of language, what we talked about last week is the norms of language, with the intent of conveying meaning to, meaning to his intended audience. Now, the text also opens the mind of the reader to the setting in which the words are written. So when we look at a text like um, one of the epistles, we can see reflections of the culture. We see, as we read Matthew, reflections of Jewish culture. However, the emotions, the events, the culture surrounding a text don't have anything to do with the text's meaning. They really don't. Meaning uses these elements, but it doesn't have anything to do. So, when Jesus Christ is speaking, and he is, um, in, in John, Jesus Christ is walking in the temple of Solomon. And the people come to him and they say, why don't you just declare yourself to be Messiah if you're him? Well, when you look at the text, you recognize that it was at the Feast of Dedication. It was at the time of Hanukkah. And at that time of year, according to the Old Testament prophets, Jesus Christ was going to, or the Messiah was going to, cleanse the temple of God. 
And so they were thinking about these things at the time. And that cultural aspect helps us. It can help us understand. However, we can understand what the people are saying, regardless of if we know the culture or not. Stein, in his book on interpretation, says this, Perhaps the greatest need in reading the Bible is to distinguish the vast amount of information that we can learn from the biblical texts from the meaning that the authors give to that information. When Matthew was writing his gospel, his intent was to communicate to the people who would read it. His intent was not to teach you about Hebrew culture. His intent was not to teach you um, about the Hebrew feasts. It was to communicate Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep the meaning separate from the ways in which the reader chose to talk about that. So that's the text. How about the reader? What's your role? What is your role in the interpretation process? Well, the reader is the person who receives the text given by the author. The reader is not the person who determines meaning. We see this from time to time, particularly when it comes to the Bible. The person who reads the text, this is, this is the idea, this is the, the false idea that these folks have. I believe the reader determines meaning. The person who reads the text gives it meaning, actualizes it. This is not to be confused with us saying that the reader learns or deciphers or decodes the text and therefore ascertains its meaning. That's correct. But when we think about the idea that the reader himself determines meaning, have you ever been at a Bible study and you've all read a passage of Scripture and then somebody who's moderating it says, what does this text mean to you? And then everyone starts to say, well, this is what I got, got from it. And so you're reading in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. And someone says, well, what, what this means to me is that we have no right to judge anybody on anything. And then somebody else says, well, this means to me that we need to be, uh, just show people love and never tell, ne- never talk about sin. Because if we talk about sin, then we'll look judgmental. And then someone else says, well, no, I believe this means to me that um, that we can talk to people about their sin, but at the same time, we need to make sure that the sin is out of our life first. And so everyone has their own meaning, and they all go home with their own meaning, and everybody is happy. The problem is, not everyone's right even if everyone's happy. Because they don't have the authority to impose upon the, the Scriptures what they think it means. We do not have that authority. And that is the idea of people thinking the reader determines meaning. This happens a lot in art critics. The art critic is standing in front of a piece of canvas and he's looking at this painting that the artist did so many years ago and he says, and he sees the squares and the circles and he says, to me, This means chaos. Oh, everyone, yay! Chaos. Profound, profound. Doesn't matter what the artist meant. It's what 
the art critic believes it to mean. So, rather, the reader gives the text his own meaning regardless of what the author intended. The reader creates meaning. What does this passage mean to you? Now, here's the, the, the consequence of this kind of thinking. That means that the Marxist, or the feminist, or the liberationist, or the evangelical, or the ecumenical can read the Bible and interpret it their way. Interpret it to mean their things. And so, this means that anybody can take the Bible, open it, and say, see, the Bible teaches socialism, the Bible teaches feminism, the Bible teaches ecumenicism, because they take the passages and they say, see, the Bible preaches unity, therefore you should not separate over doctrine. You need to try to minimize doctrine and just focus on those things that you all agree on. And so now there's error. Why? Because they have interposed their meaning upon the text, even though that's not the right meaning. And they say it's okay because the reader creates meaning. The feminist movement is doing this right now. Big time. They are taking the biblical texts where they see people like the... the um, Deborah, the judge of Israel, and they see Mary, who was chosen by God to um, to bear Jesus Christ, and they see Herodias and Syntyche and all of these women, and they say, and they take those passages and they impose meaning upon them to show that women ought to be able to do anything in the church that a man can. They ought to be able to preach. They ought to be able to do all of these things. Because after all, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no male or female, we're all one in Christ, so why are we putting up these false distinctions? Well, in doing so, they are imposing meaning upon the text. Because we also see, the scriptures teach us clearly, that women are not supposed to usurp authority over the man in a teaching role, as taught in Timothy. Suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man in that teaching role. And so, if we allow the reader to be the, the, per, the, the source of meaning for a text, then the reader can create his own or her own meaning. Now, the view assumes that there can be many meanings to, uh, as each interpreter contributes his understanding into the text. It may mean that to you, but not to me. So the Bible may mean that to you. When you read, suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you serve authority over a man, well, maybe, maybe to you that means that a woman can't teach, but to me, that's not what he was talking about. And so we, we create meaning based upon our own idea. Remember, this is false. The reader does not determine meaning. The reader's role is to use the symbols provided, to use the text, the black and white letters on the page, to understand what the author intended. To understand what was originally intended. Knowing that the author intended his meaning to be conveyed, the reader assumes that the author used shareable symbols and the norms of language to express his meaning. That means we assume that the author did not write in code when he wrote. We assume the author actually wanted what he wrote to be properly determined. 
We assume that the reader, uh, that should be writer, not reader, I apologize. We assume that the writer did not want his message to be a secret. Now, this doesn't mean everyone can understand the meaning, but we must assume when we step into the Bible that the author had a message to convey and that he used the normal language to make it, to in, he intended it to be understandable to you and I. That means the reader doesn't need to create meaning. That means you don't have to have a college degree in order to understand because the reader, the writer wanted what he wrote to be understood. There are complications, of course. But we have to assume that. We have to assume that the writer wanted what he wrote to be understood. And so the reader uses common sense conventions of interpretation to establish the meaning. The reader seeks to understand the whole text in order to understand each word, and to understand each word in order to understand the whole text. It's what's called in theological circles the hermeneutical circle. We understand the whole so we can understand each word, and we understand each word so we can understand the whole. We use every resource at our disposal to understand what the author intended because he intended us to understand what he wrote. He wants it. He wants it. Paul wanted everyone who read the, the book of Romans to understand it. He wasn't trying to write in some sort of code so that people couldn't figure it out unless they had secret knowledge. He wants you he wanted you to understand it when he wrote it. In order to ascertain meaning, the reader is interested in the author's other writings. So, as a reader, it's our responsibility to seek to understand what the author intended. And we can do that by, and we talked about this last week, by understanding the Scriptures as a whole. If we want to understand Galatians, well, first we start in Galatians. And we understand, we, we, we do a study, and we do everything we can to understand Galatians. Well, then we go to the other Pauline epistles, other epistles written by Paul. And when we go to other epistles written by Paul, then we begin to recognize some themes and the way he used certain words. And it helps us understand what he meant in Galatians when we go to Romans and we see his other teachings about the law and grace. And then we go to the other New Testament books. That would be the next closest um, reference for understanding. And we go to these New Testament books to understand uh, the entire expectation of the New Testament to the church under grace. And then we go to the Old Testament books. And we use the Scripture to interpret Scripture because by all means, Scripture is the best commentary on itself. And we know that all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. And so, since it's all inspired by God, it's all profitable. And the same message is found from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so, we can use Scripture to interpret other Scripture. And then we would go to things such as the early church writings, uh, the history of Josephus, these areas whereby we can understand how other people of the day read and interpreted the Bible. But we can never put nearly as much authority on things like early church writings as we can on the scriptures themselves because we know that they're inspired by God. So, the reader, and this is the conclusion of the reader, the reader must determine literary form, genre. We must understand the way that the author wrote. We must understand the intent of the author as he has expressed it in order that we 
can glean the author's meaning. And after we understand his meaning, then it's our responsibility to apply it. We can't just say, this is what the author meant, okay, great job, let's go home. If we don't apply it, I was talking to, to someone not too long ago, and I was talking about one of the problems found in, in um, many churches today who have sound exposition, but the pastor doesn't take the teaching and assign significance. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching on fornication. And as I preached on fornication, as we got to the end of the message, I applied it. Things that might be problematic, particularly for the, for young men, said if, if you have movies in your house that have um, inappropriate scenes in them, let me encourage you to get rid of those movies. And, and as I applied it, I did so because as we look at the warnings against fornication, we need to take those warnings and make them real. If fornication is indeed something that is physically shameful and spiritually detrimental, well, it's good to know that, but we need to then apply, we need to apply significance. And that's our job as the reader, to apply the significance to the text. So we take what, what the author has willed in his meaning, and then we apply significance. A lot of pastors don't do that anymore. They teach what the author intended, and that's great and good, but they don't apply the significance. And if we don't do that, then we've missed an important part of what we're supposed to be doing here. So we have the text, the reader. How about the author? We've talked about the author's role. Let's go through this quickly. He's the person that is intending to convey meaning. He's the one who determines the meaning. The author determines the meaning. The author determines the meaning. The idea is this. If Paul were alive today and told us what he meant in the book of Galatians, that would settle the issue. Now, this is common sense, right? This is, as we just talked about a few minutes ago with the Constitution of the United States. Today, people are saying it's a living document, that we determine its meaning, or that the text itself determines its meaning, that it's changing. Well, the common sense approach is to say, if we want to know how to govern this nation by the Constitution, then we figure out what the founders meant when they wrote it. And we live according to the founders' original intent. That's how it works. Well, we've got to do the same thing with the Bible. We can't assign the Bible and the text its own meaning. The text isn't a living text that is adapting to culture and forming its own meaning. No. Our responsibility is to find out what Paul meant when he wrote what he wrote. Our responsibility is to find out what Jesus intended when he said, judge not lest ye be judged. What did he intend to convey when he said that? And anything that is not in line with what Jesus intended to convey is false. This is common sense. A normal conversation assumes that the goal of interpretation is to understand what the speaker or the writer means by the words he's using. How difficult. Now, this happens from time to time. I don't intend for this, but as a pastor, this happens. I say something from behind the pulpit and somebody comes up to me after the service or a few weeks and says, Pastor, I really appreciated it when you said such and such and such and such. And I sit there and I think, I didn't say that. 
I didn't even imply that. I didn't mean that. What they heard is different from what I said. I don't know. Things get lost in translation. Have you ever, did you ever play that telephone game? You all sit in a circle and somebody whispers something into somebody's ear and then they're supposed to whisper it into the ear of the next person and they're supposed to... And, and literally, they're just hearing what was said and, and telling it to the next person. If you've ever played the game, you'll find that at the end of the line, it sounds nothing like it originally was. Maybe we'll do that next week. Maybe we'll play the telephone game together next week in Sunday school so that we can get a feel for what this is. It's the, if, if, if we think about that analogy of the telephone game where one person says something to the next and then to the next and to the next and by the end of the, the, the line it means nothing like what was intended, that's kind of scary. Because now the person who said something and intended it to be understood and, and had meaning, ascribed meaning to it, now his words have been completely taken out of context and there's a new meaning ascribed that was not his intent. By the way, politicians do this all the time, right? A politician gets up and says something within, in context and then the media takes that and for the next three weeks they're pulling it out of context, they're ripping him apart and he gets up and he says, that's not what I meant. I never meant that. I, I never even came into my mind. But of course, people are taking his words, they're taking them out of context. It's not, that, that, that's wrong. It's wrong for us to, to try to take something that somebody said and manipulate it to mean something else. It's our responsibility to get back to what the author intended. To treat the text apart from the author's meaning is to distort the text. Now, here's common objections. It is impossible to climb into the mind of the author, therefore we cannot know his emotions, his feelings, his motives, so the author's meaning is inaccessible. But here's the thing. Interpretation is not... Uh, his meaning... We're not trying to rebuild the experience that Paul was going through when he wrote Galatians. We're simply trying to take what he intended to be sent from him to the, to the reader and understand it. And so his emotions don't have to play a part. His experiences don't really matter that much. Another common objection. The reader is far too distant from the author's culture to grasp his meaning. Well, it's a good point, but it's not a true problem, and that's because we have the Holy Spirit. Another objection. We can... No one can fully relate to the author's faith experience. Again, we'll cover this when we talk about the spirit's role. And so, as we think about the role of the author... He composed the thoughts, the ideas, and the concepts that create both the meaning and the implications. It's our responsibility to understand what the author wrote, to understand what he meant when he wrote it, and then to apply the significance to our lives. That's our responsibility. It is not our responsibility to assign meaning to the text. It is not our responsibility to allow the text to, to exhibit its own meaning. It's our responsibility to find out what the author meant. We'll stop there. We've, only, we've got the Holy Spirit left, and we'll pick up with that next week, and then we'll jump into the next lesson. Are there any questions, comments?